0: welcome to the Metron manager podcast i'm your host jonathan nowlin well northwest arkansas for the nations was a huge success our annual mission conference had an emphasis on local, global, and marketplace missions this year. And I had the privilege, as the Metron Manager Project, of heading up the Marketplace Mission Track. What an incredible event. We had nearly 800 people from a lot of churches, a lot of backgrounds, a lot of organizations that were participating or representing at this event. The track that I headed up was a huge hit, you guys. It was incredible, it was really encouraging. We had well over 300 people eagerly participating in our morning track on Marketplace Mission. I was able to welcome about 14 different practitioners and thought leaders from around the world that could share and really bring their approaches and their understanding regarding how to advance the kingdom of God through vocation in local and international locations, all different domains of society. It was pretty incredible. A lot of different industries and sectors were represented. A real highlight of the program was having Andrew Scott the co-founder of Scatter Global and the president of Operation Mobilization, kick off the whole conference on the Friday night before our track even happened. Now, Andrew brought an incredible message of unity and broadening how we understand the Great Commission and how our shape that God's given us can wrap around the purposes of God and really make a transformational impact in the world around us. You know, after Andrew kicked off this theology of work-driven emphasis the first night, by delivering such a powerful perspective on workplace mission you know the emphasis on redemptive framework and leaning into our god-given design just led to an incredibly liberating response to the great commission i really do want to thank everybody who prayed everybody who participated everybody who served and everybody who gave this event was well worth it it was a real milestone in what I believe is our journey together to help the body of Christ recover the dignity and mission of vocation. I want to give you a quick listen back to what I shared in the morning at the Marketplace Mission Track, give you a little taste of what happened there, and then I'm going to talk to you about a few of the ideas that I touch on and a few new ideas regarding how God gives us more than just permission, but he gives us a commission to work. So let's dive into this. Yeah, this is all about marketplace, marketplace approach. Did you guys enjoy Andrew Scott's talk last night? Was that pretty good? Okay, Yeah. Andrew and I have really connected well and Scatter Global over the last year and a half or so. So it's been really exciting to have them involved. Uh, Scatter, where are my Scatter Global reps? You guys in here? Uh, well, right over here, wave hands. All right. So they got a booth here, they got a booth over there. They're bringing a lot of value to this conference. So get a, get a chance to talk with them, Okay. okay? So our goal here really is to equip you guys to live on mission and give you an opportunity if you want to, to take your job into all the world and really make an impact. That's an outlet. That's an opportunity. We're going to cover missionized theology of work. You're going to hear that term thrown around a little bit. So that's something I actually write about in my book called uh, Managing Your Metron. If you haven't checked this out, it's all on Marketplace and Marketplace Missiology. Um, And our goal is really to get you guys to broaden your understanding of the Great Commission, to really understand, like what Andrew was talking about last night, how do you wrap your shape around purpose, and how do you do that? And my heart is also for you to understand that you're not, if you're called to vocation, you're called to work, you're called to a job, you're called to be a homeschool mom, whatever it is, that's not second class in the kingdom of God. That's not second tier. There's no caste system. They don't have a, a higher value for people who are paid Christian professionals or paid Christian missionaries. I am one of them. I was one of them. I've done 30 years of mission work, but I'm all in and seeing you guys realize that you have permission and a commission to work. Not, God doesn't just give you permission and wish you would do something useful with your life. He's, no, he gives you permission and a commission biblically. So we're gonna, that theme is going to weave through a lot of what we do today and talk about I'm going to give you a little, a little point to, to ponder here before we dive into our quick talks. I mean, how have you guys have ever heard of theology of work? Anybody heard that term? If you're here, you're probably at least interested or have heard something along those lines. Let me tell you quickly where that comes from. So we get theology of work from Genesis, like where Andrew started last night. When it says in Genesis 128, God blessed them, God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. But then in Genesis 2.15, God put, when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, then the Lord took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So there's two commands within what we call the original commission, which is the foundation of theology of work. Because cultivate... That word cultivate in the original language is avad, and it means work. So you put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. We're going to talk more about this in depth in my breakout, but just to get you thinking that the first thing that happened to Adam and Eve was they got a job. God brought them into existence said, okay, here's your job, here's your scope of work, here's what you're supposed to do, you know, Genesis 128. But that word work also means worship in Hebrew. So it's the exact same word. And the concept is, is that your work, that work is designed as a form of worship, a primary form of worship. Because where do you spend most of your day? Your work, how often do you sing at church on the weekend? You know, 30 minutes. So that was 30 minutes a week was not God's design. The original design is work as worship. And that to be able to do that as unto the Lord, like Andrew talked about, to the glory of God. So that's where we get this concept of work as worship. We get theology of work right from the beginning. And the understanding that work is not a result of the fall. It's not a result of sin. It was your original design. It was before that. So it gives us a little context. So then why do I use this term missionized? Missionized theology of work. This is where it gets really interesting. In the Great Commission, when Jesus, I mean, you guys are familiar with the Great Commission and it wouldn't be here. In the last half of the Great Commission, Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. The second part, that word, observe, is the Hebrew word, or the Greek word, tereo. And the Greek word tereo is the direct translation from the original commission, where he says to cultivate it and keep it, the second half, when he says keep, the second half of the great commission is also the word keep. It's the direct translation means the exact same thing. Guard, protect, preserve, watch over, preserve life, um, be a watchman on a wall, uh, protect, uh, it's incredibly deep. It's an incredibly deep command, and we don't usually talk about it even in theology of work or in the Great Commission. So God really cares about the means to the end. The, the quality of the build, I call it the build quality of the kingdom matters as much as the end result. And what happens in the process The godliness of the process matters as much as the end result. So there's a qualitative and a quantitative aspect to both of these commands. If you're called to work, you're directly connected to the Great Commission, even by the language in the Bible, then you're called to mission. It connects. Whole bunch on that. If you want to go deep, jump into my book and we'll talk. But anyway, I just wanted to make the connection that that's why we say missionize, that if you're called to work, you're put on mission in the area God's given you to impact the people, places, and spaces that God's given you responsibility for, like Andrew talked about last night. Okay, so the two commissions are functionally connected. That's where we get theology of work. We'll talk more about that in the breakout. Okay, as I dive into some further thoughts here that I'd like to unpack um, that we covered in the conference, one of them is this idea of permission and a commission to work. Now, I had mentioned Andrew Scott speaking in the conference that was incredibly powerful. I'd like to read a quick excerpt from his book called Scatter. I highly recommend this book and it really reinforces a lot of what I'd been thinking prior to even meeting Scatter Global or meeting Andrew Scott and I really like his perspective. In his book, Scatter, in the introduction on page 12, he writes the following. One of the biggest issues is that in recent years we have somehow drifted toward a fatal mix of pietism, asceticism, and ancient Greek dualism. Sounds rather serious, and it is. We have succeeded in taking a plan given by God to everyone who follows Jesus and narrowing the entry point down into a very finite model that over 99% of Jesus' followers look at and say, if that is missions, I don't fit. It looks something like this. We have asked those who felt called to find something like a still small voice pointing them to a specific country, to give up what they're doing in the secular world, and to go do something else that is sacred in the ministry and in the mission world. Oh, and you need to raise your own support to do it. You're really not doing ministry unless you follow this path. Engineers, business owners, teachers, artists, athletes, all types of skilled professionals who love Jesus have been asked to lay aside their secular job, even though they're really good at it and love to do it, in order to come fit into our church and field strategy where we do the sacred full-time ministry stuff. We add weight to our model by including the forsaking all and taking up our cross verses. As I mentioned, the vast majority of those who follow Jesus have come to the conclusion that they must not be called to ministry and mission and remain on the sidelines. This dichotomized thinking has relegated talent, passion, work, and as a result, the vast majority of the church to a second-tier class or caste where they are only called upon for money, prayer, and a few odd jobs around the church. They do ministry on the weekends in their church or on a mission trip in the summer, and the rest of their work life, their hobbies, community involvement, and so on, is merely for their own fulfillment and financial well-being. The vast majority of our kingdom workforce is benched because they do not fit our model for doing church and mission. As a result, some of the greatest and most effective tools a Jesus follower has to offer the cause of Christ have been taken from them, totally undervalued and underutilized. Tools that help us integrate into the communities we place ourselves in. Tools that enable us to have a credible presence and a witness there. Tools that have been given us to reflect His glory, yet we have labeled them as nothing more than skills, personal interests, and hobbies that fit into this bucket called secular. It's time to take up our tools and use them for our ultimate purpose to glorify God. Bishop Leslie Newbigin said, The primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. I have met many who believe this and have a heart to serve God's purposes. They believe they should be an engineer, business person, artist, mechanic. Their skills and excellence in them have given them credibility in their environment, and their environment is where those who do not know Jesus are, and they are not typically in our churches. These folks love doing what they're doing, but have never been given the framework or permission to see that is part of their God-given purpose in life, yet they firmly believe that their passion and talent for business are from God. I'm convinced That if we are to see a significant change in our world through the light of the gospel going out, we need to set a generation free to be all God has created them to be, using what He has given them to use for His purposes. I'd like to say yes and amen to that incredible excerpt from the book Scatter, written by Andrew Scott. Okay, back to this idea that if you're working in your vocational calling, you're working a job, you own a business, you're an entrepreneur you're a farmer, whatever it is, is somehow putting you in a second-class position in the body of Christ, or as Andrew Scott mentioned, as some form of lower member in the Christian caste system, we got to circle back and look at where that came from, because this is an old problem. It actually far predates the Reformation, and I want to read a little bit of history here to give you a perspective on where this came from and how we got to where we are today. We're still dealing with some of the same challenges, but there's also hope on the horizon and a lot of change. So how did we end up with this Christian culture that somehow says that there are two tiers of believers in the body of Christ, one being sacred, and the other, whether or not said overtly, feeling secular? There's a really good short book called How Then Should We Work by Hugh Welchel. The subtitle is Rediscovering the Biblical Doctrine of Work. Fascinating little book. I'd encourage you to read it. Here's what he says on page 61, as he's looking back at how we got into this situation of sacred and secular and how it still affects us to this day. Hugh Welchel writes, By the end of the 3rd century, with the end of persecution, the separation between Jerusalem and Athens began to disappear. The church fathers began to be more heavily influenced by Greek thought. In their theology, the positive view of all work as God's work began to change to the Greek view that work is demeaning. We can see this influence in the writings of Eusebius and Augustine. Eusebius of Caesarea writes of two contrasting ways to live. There is the perfect life, quote, the vita contemplativa, consisting of sacred vocations dedicated to contemplation. This life is reserved for priests, monks, nuns, and those in similar religious orders. Then there is the, quote, permitted life, the vita activa which encompasses secular vocations dedicated to action, such as governing, farming, trading, soldiering, and homemaking. Eusebius thought the perfect Christian life was one devoted to serving God untainted by physical labor. Those who chose to work or had to work for a living were second-class Christians. In a similar way, Augustine distinguished between the active life and the contemplative life. While both kinds of life were good, Augustine had praise for the work of farmers and craftsmen and merchants. The contemplative life was of a higher order. At times, it might be necessary to follow the active life, but wherever possible, one should choose the other. Quote, the one life is loved, the other endured. The church not only embraced Augustine's view, but expanded it to the point that it dominated Christian thinking until the Reformation. The duality between the spiritual and secular was being established. Pursuing the contemplative life or professional role in the church would soon be the only true religious vocation. The sacred-secular divide produced the mistaken belief that work had less value than contemplation in God's kingdom. Until the Reformation, this era shaped much subsequent Christian thinking regarding vocation. By the time Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, the distinction between clergy and laity was fairly well established. With the establishment of celibacy for the clergy in the 11th century, this demarcation was complete and the laity were relegated to second-class status in the church. Hugh Welchel goes on to write, In the medieval church, having a vocation or calling referred exclusively to full-time church work. If a person felt a calling, this was a sign that he or she might have a vocation, which meant becoming a priest, a monk, or a nun. The ordinary occupations of life, being a peasant farmer or a kitchen maid, making tools or clothing, being a soldier or even a king, were acknowledged as necessary but worldly. Such people could be saved, but they were mired in the world. To serve God wholeheartedly and live a genuinely spiritual life required a full-time commitment. The, quote, counsels of perfection could be fulfilled only in the holy orders of the church, in which a man or a woman devoted every day to prayer, contemplation, worship, and the service of God, even marriage and parenthood though recognized as good things, were viewed as an encumbrance to the religious life. It was initially through Martin Luther's efforts that the 16th century reformers began to recover the biblical doctrine of work. They began to recognize that all of life, including daily work, can be understood as a calling from God. In an amazing statement, for his time, Luther wrote in The Babylonian Captivity of the Church, Therefore I advise no one to enter any religious order or priesthood, I advise everyone against it, unless he is forearmed with this knowledge and understands that the works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field, or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Luther led the Reformers to sharply contrast the monastic call, quote, from the world with the authentically Christian call into the world. In the fabric of this world, Lee Hardy summarizes Luther's position on vocation. Quote, vocation is the specific call to love one's neighbor. According to Luther, we respond to the call to love our neighbor by fulfilling the duties associated with our everyday work. This work includes domestic and civic duties as well as our employment. In fact, Luther said we can only truly serve God in the midst of everyday circumstances, and all attempts to elevate the significance of the contemplative life are false. Okay, that was some fantastic insight into the history of the church and its view of vocation all the way back to the early church and through the Reformation It really helps us see how we got to where we're at today. Unfortunately, there's still a problem with this two-tiered system within the church and within our faith. I've been reading from some other people's works here to kind of help you understand what I'm talking about and where the issues originated and how they affect us. But I want to read something to you that I wrote. So one of my mentors, a gentleman named Gary Presley, a long time back... He wrote a statement that really took ownership and repented for the problems around vocation and theology of work that have emerged in the modern church. I really embraced this statement, and I wanted to own it as well and offer my agreement and also my concurrent apology that's contained in this write-up. I felt like it spoke for me, and it speaks for a lot of Christian leaders in the body of Christ. I hope that you, the one called to vocation in the kingdom of God— can hear this and receive some healing and some hope through this statement. In the beginning of my study guide for the book Managing Your Metron, I wrote, As a career missionary and minister of the gospel, I was often involved in efforts to help individuals discover their roles in the kingdom of God. I have come to recognize that I and many other church and ministry leaders often conducted our efforts from good intentions but imperfect understanding. As a consequence, we often cause the view of work and vocation to be denigrated in the body of Christ. As greater understanding of the kingdom has awakened, I want to offer this universal statement of repentance from church and ministry leaders for devaluing vocation. We confess. 1. We thought that organized church was where everything was to happen and that everyone and everything was to be served in and through the church. 2. All real and valid ministries were understood to be within the church and were to be under its government and control. Three, we did not truly understand the kingdom of God and how it manifests on the earth. Four, as a result, we used people to only build our churches and ministries. If individuals could not or would not serve us in our vision for our ministries, our actions demeaned and undervalued them. We saw them as less important and mostly as a source of income. Often these people were ignored or pushed aside, and as a result they moved further and further toward the door. Many left in frustration, anger, and disillusionment, believing they were not spiritual enough in some undefined way. Others simply gave up trying to fit themselves into the confines of the church structure and ministries. We attempted to make business executives into intercessors, salespeople into children's nursery workers, business administrators into Sunday school superintendents, craftsmen into janitors, administrative assistants into secretaries, and the list goes on and on. We repent. In doing so, we did not honor and respect and equip those called by God to minister in commerce, media, arts, government social services, and most other vocations and occupations outside the walls of the church. We are sorry. Please forgive us. On behalf of many pastors and ministry leaders, we want to tell you that we have been wrong. For what we did and taught for generations in the church, we are sincerely sorry. We are before you today in repentance for our bad attitudes, wrong beliefs, and our poor behaviors toward you. We bless you. We honor you as kingdom people called by God to the marketplace. We believe you are ordained by Him to occupy and transform the sphere of influence to which He has called you. Today, we release honor and blessing and favor on your life and personal calling to the marketplace. We are prepared to stand with you and support you in your God-given ministry outside the walls of the institutional church. You have dreams ordained by God. It is our privilege and our heart's desire to call them forth and to see you fully established in the destiny of God's desire for your life. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.